Hi guys, this is Erica Weston with Fox Sports Midwest, and you're listening to my favorite St. Louis Blues hockey podcast, Let's Go Blues Radio. Hi there, everyone. I'm Haley Wickenheiser, and this is Let's Go Blues Radio, past to the future. I need one win. What are you going to do to get me that? Selfish hockey. That's right. Selfish hockey. Break it down. Skate the puck. Don't pass it. Headman's still going to be there when you catch up, boy. Take it coast to coast. Shots from poor angles are still shots. Fuck and a half, two minute shifts, three minutes even. Cruise the blue line to catch your breath. Bad balance, that's a good breakaway. Gotta get the bounces, boys. Woo, Nelly. Don't you love that new open? Uh, I love it. Uh, thank you to Julio Caesar uh, from Brazil. Find him on YouTube, folks. Uh, he did the Back to the Future theme hardcore version you just heard. So uh, excellent stuff from him. Big thanks to him for uh, letting us use it. And obviously that is the theme for the summer series. Yes, it is April, and we're already talking about a summer series. Uh, this is Season 8, Episode 58. Franchise episode number 245. Uh, Here's how this is going to go, folks. This is the past and the future episodes uh, right now. We will be going week to week on how these are going to be released. Um, Might be next week. We'll have another past and the future. Might be be one where Kurt and Bill join me. we don't know. Just as, just as the rest of the world, we don't know how this is going to go. So if you're tuning in right now, just know that the past and the future episodes, that's slated to be uh, once a week, probably released every Wednesday or Thursday. Uh, that might change, though. We might decide to do a live show. Stay tuned with us on social media. Uh, you know where to find us, LGB Radio on Twitter and Instagram. And then we're on Facebook at Let's Go Blues. We also be our friends uh, on all those sites as well. Uh, Jeff Ponder, Kirk Price, Bill Day, look us up. Uh, Ponder 94 at Kirk Price, at Billy Blue Note on Twitter. And again, show Twitter, LGB Radio. Just stay tuned with us, and we'll let you know uh, each week which show is coming out. So in these series in the past, I'm sure everyone is used to hearing me blabble on for 15, 20 minutes before we get to the guest. On these, I'm not going to do that, because each show, we're going to have two guests. And so I want to get right to it. Um, I will say, since this is the first episode of the past and the future, um, we are going to have some pretty awesome guests. uh, I'll be honest with you, I just finished a a conversation with Ken Wilson, former Blues play-by-play man. That was one of the coolest things I've ever done. I'm very excited to get that one out. I'm thinking that'll be out in a couple weeks, but uh, again, stay tuned to us on social media. We'll let you know. Uh, and then I've already interviewed a couple other Blues alumni, and uh, one of the best ones that I've done so far and I really enjoyed was Jamie McLennan, former Blues goaltender. He had a great career, uh, all things considered, and uh, obviously a Bill Masterton Trophy winner, which we get into, but he is my first guest. Second guest, Josh Kreitzer from the Dub Network. He writes about the Portland Winterhawks 
and we talk about Joel Hofer, uh, Blues prospect goaltender. So this is an all-goalie show. So here is my first interview, the past portion. Here's Jamie McClendon. And welcome to Let's Go Blues Radio. This is the past portion of our show. I'm joined by former Blues goaltender Jamie McLennan, uh, affectionately nicknamed Noodles. He's now a, uh, a TSN analyst as well, but Jamie played uh, uh, multiple seasons with the St. Louis Blues, uh, moved on in the 2000 draft to the Minnesota Wild. But we'll get to that in a minute. Jamie, thank you very much for joining the show. Not too bad. Thanks for having you. How are things uh, today? Oh, you know, just trying to to get through, never leaving the house. I'm sure it's uh, not been easy for you either. Yeah, I mean, it it is what it is. But, uh, um, you know, I've been in my house, I think, 16 days now straight because uh, I uh, I actually called the last NHL game. It was Ottawa-L.A. Oh, wow. Late game. Yeah, that was the late game, and I was out there with the Senators, and then uh, as it's well known, a couple of the Senators players and a broadcaster, Gord Wilson, uh, um, got COVID. So, um, you know, when I got home from the U.S., I kind of just locked myself in uh, with my family and, uh, you know, knock on wood, so far so good. But we're just, uh, you know, practicing social distancing. We've taken it to another level, I guess, basically. We're just kind of uh, at our house and just go for walks. But outside of that, we're... Uh, we're we're trying to, you know, help help the process along by uh, social distancing and 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 doing what's asked of us. Right. Yeah. I hear you. Yeah. With same thing with us. We we go on some walks and, uh, you know, I'm a I'm an extrovert and I'm sure you are too. So I like going out. I like, you know, taking the kids somewhere. And you know, now it's just, you know, kid comes up to me and says, "Hey, I want to go. Let's go bye bye." And it's yeah, can't go anywhere, buddy. Sorry. So it's it's been yeah. interesting for sure. For sure, but I think we're we're just trying to get through it. Really, I don't, you know, I don't know if anybody has an explanation. It's just uh, it seems like the world has stopped for the last two and a half weeks. Uh, and it seems like it's been two years since we had hockey, but uh, it is what it is, and I hope everyone can pull out of it. Uh, you know, we're watching uh, daily as uh, the numbers don't look too good, but uh, hopefully, uh, as a as a world, we can we can get through this pandemic. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's interesting because you know you you sit here and and you say okay I'll get through the next couple of weeks by watching NHL replays, but uh, it's just it's not the same. We all miss live hockey, but at the end of the day, it's more important to worry about our race. And uh, I think uh, doing what we're doing is is just the best that we can do right now. So hopefully we'll get out of this, and hopefully we'll see a conclusion to the uh, 2019-20 season. I agree. I agree. Uh, so first of all, I wanted to talk to you. Uh, you came here. Um, well, you came to St. Louis, uh, and uh, in in nineteen ninety was it nineteen ninety seven? You signed your contract. Uh, it was uh, after you spent some time with the Islanders. And uh, those that may remember, you were the nineteen ninety eight Bill Masterton Trophy winner, uh, which that goes for pers- perseverance and uh, dedication to the game. This all started because of a rare illness that you had. It turned out to be bacterial meningitis. You thought it was the flu, uh, and th- and I'm, I'm probably I'm telling you stuff you already know, but just to give a little background for those who may not remember this story, uh, you went into a coma, but you arrived at the hospital early enough to where your life was saved. Uh, you lost 30 pounds, but you needed to learn how to walk again. Uh, almost a year it took to get your energy back. 
but then you ended up coming back to the NHL. Walk me through that. What, what was that like for you? I mean, you were a young man, and you're told you have bacterial meningitis. What was that like for you? Yeah, I mean, you know, I was a 25-year-old, which I thought healthy pro athletes. You know, at the end of the season, you're kind of run down. And, you know, that season was a little bit of a weird year for me. I, I was up and down with the Islanders. Uh, the Islanders at the time had two minor league teams, one in Worcester, Massachusetts, the other in Salt Lake City in the IHL, the old IHL. Uh, so, you know, I was kind of all over that year. And at the end of the season, I was uh, – I was in Worcester visiting friends and then went back to New York uh, to basically pack up my stuff and was visiting with my girlfriend there. And then I flew to Salt Lake City to, to pick up my stuff there and then drive north to Canada um, for the end of the season. And I stopped in Lethbridge, Alberta and wasn't feeling well. I thought basically, you know, flu-like symptoms and, you know, been drinking a lot and not taking care of great of you know, great care of myself. You know, that, that first week after the season, guys kind of let themselves go a little bit. Oh, yeah. And and I thought uh, that was it. You know, I thought I had a little flu or food poisoning or something and ended up going to the hospital. And basically, the you know, the doctor said, uh, where you know, where did you get this rash? And, as, and I looked down and a rash was appearing right in front of me. Now, it wasn't, it wasn't a raised rash. It was underneath the skin, so kind of just blood spots. And I had no idea. And he said, you know, you better, this is back, like you say, it's in the, in the 90s. So it's, you know, no cell phones, no social media, anything like that. So he said, you better call your parents. Your heart could stop in the next hour. Wow. So I don't, re- I don't remember, you know, I, I think the word coma, I, I, I don't know if I was in like a medically induced one or they just put me, I know re- I was in ICU for a, a week solid and to the point where I called my parents and, and uh, said, you better get out here. And uh, my parents got there the next day because they had to fly in and there was, you know, a snowstorm and just a gong show for them to get in. And uh, my mom said she didn't recognize me. I mean, they hadn't seen me during the season and I grew my hair out and I was having such bad uh, fevers that, uh, you know, they they pumped me so full of fluids. I remember, all I remember was kind of being in and out of consciousness and my mom saying, that's not our son. And wow. so she didn't recognize me. So it was a bit weird. Uh, you were right. I lost 30 pounds and had to reteach myself to walk. I, I knew how to walk. It's just it attacks the muscles and attacks things. So I, you know, I kind of had to, I, I spent a month in the hospital. I had to kind of work my way back up with a walker and then gain some strength back. And, you know, it, it, the weird part about it is it, it happened in May. I got out of the hospital in June and July 1st, I became a, a free agent. And because I had spent time with the, with the Worcester Ice Cats, that was a St. Louis Blues split team with the Islanders. So uh, I believe uh, Jimmy Roberts and Greg Gilbert, uh, they were in that, they were there, so they kind of knew what I was all about. And I, all I remember is Mike Keenan calling my agent. He was the general manager at the time and said, we're going to offer him a two-year deal, uh, but you've got a couple hours to, to sign it. If not, we're moving on to a different player. So my agent called me and said, listen, you know, it's an opportunity. You're going to have to start in the AHL to kind of work your way back up. Um, I knew I wasn't at 100%, but uh, the best part about it is Greg Gilbert was the coach, and, uh, you know, and he helped me through the process. Jimmy Roberts was there. There were so many people within that that Blues organization. Uh, that whole year I spent in the AHL with uh, 
uh, you know, I got called up a couple times here and there with, uh, um, I think Fierzy was the guy up, up, up top. Yep. And then the, ne- the next year, I, I, I made the team out of training camp. Uh, I think they've signed a guy named Rich Perrant in the offseason to kind of uh, be the number two guy. And he got injured at training camp, and I kind of grabbed the job, and that's the year I won the Masterton. So it was a it was a long road back. I look at the I look at the trophy as kind of like a a piece of closure for me mm. um, to kind of you know put a cherry on top. It was a long road back to and Greg Gilbert was amazing. Jimmy Roberts, like the whole organization, was amazing, allowing me to kind of work my way back. I didn't play back to back games until like Christmas that year, and. Uh, just kind of getting to re-know my body a little bit because it had been broken down and my immune system was a little bit uh, wonky. So it was a it was a weird thing that happened, but uh, I look back on it and it seems like a lifetime ago. Now I'm, you know, it's 23, 24 years ago. So, um, but I, I will say very scary and, and I'm very fortunate to not only, you know, come back and have a normal life, but... Uh, to, to make it back to the National Hockey League and, and go on for many years after that. Yeah, so obviously your, your mindset probably changed a lot, but for the most part, when you're you know finding out about this bacterial meningitis and when you're um, basically having to learn to walk again, I mean, was this what was it like for you? Were were you motivated and saying I want to get back to the NHL, or was it just I just want to have a life at this point? Uh, a little bit of both. I think there were times in the hospital where I would look at myself in the mirror and I was, you know, I'd gone from, a, let's say, 190 pounds to 160 and, you know, my skin tone wasn't looking great and I, I didn't, there were nights, certainly I just wanted to have a normal life and then, you know, once I got out of the hospital, there were times where I, you know, I thought, okay, I want to get back to the National Hockey League, I want to get back to you know, carving out a career for myself because I was still kind of in the early stages of it. Um, and it, I was at the crossroads. So I, I would think it was kind of a stepladder as to what my goals were. First and foremost was to get back healthy. And then secondly is to, to try and get my career back on the right path. So, uh, you know, I, I think they both ended up working out, but it was, uh, uh, you know, I'd be lying if I didn't say that, you know, there were, there were nights where I was very concerned and, and days where I was frustrated where, you know, maybe my body wasn't responding the way I wanted it to. But, uh, looking back, I, I think it helped with, uh, you know, with help my character and my development as a, as an adult and, and to go through some of that, of that adversity. I didn't, I, I gotta be honest, I changed my life a lot then, uh, um, I didn't take much for granted, I'll tell you that. And, and it changed my work ethic and my resolve towards uh, the way I approach life. So obviously you go on and play with the Blues uh, that season, uh, 30 games that year, 16-8-2 record. And um, as, as you said, kind of won the backup role there in, in training camp. You stick with the Blues for a little while. You become a part of that President's Trophy team in 1999-2000. Um, what's it, I mean, in, in that year you were nine, five and two with a 1.95 GAA, which is honestly great numbers for a backup. I'm, I'm sure you'd agree, even though it was in the dead puck era. Um, what was the most impressive part of that team? You know, to be honest, I, I, I look back on a lot of things now that I'm an analyst in hockey and I look at the way that teams are constructed and, you know, like the, and, and I hate to play the woulda, coulda, shoulda game. 
but I, 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 I look back and I feel like that team was constructed to win a Stanley Cup. And I know, uh, you know, we had a, a two or three run, year run or a little stretch there where we were, were a dominant team, I thought. You know, it started with great leadership and Chris Pronger and Al McInnes and Pierre Turgeon and Brett Hull and Pavel Dimitra. Uh, you know, the, the skill that we had, uh, the coach and Joel Quinville, the depth uh, in guys like Mark Bergeron and Chris McAlpine and Todd Reardon. And, you know, it just, uh, you, you look, and I'm kind of mismatching, you know, all the teams together in that three-year span that I was there. But, you know, ultimately, uh, that team, I look back as a, I don't want to say a disappointment because obviously we were a President Trophy winning team, but you know, I, I thought we should have gone deep into the playoffs. And, you know, ultimately, unfortunately for me, um, you know, the, the cycle was expansion was coming and I didn't get an opportunity to return to that team. Brent Johnson came up and was pushing through from the minors. But, you know, I, I look at that group and that was a group. And I know Detroit was so strong and there were other teams in the league were so strong, but we were right there. And, you know, because of, uh, expansion because of salaries and unrestricted free agency, you know, that, that sometimes, uh, you know, I, I guess eras turn over and, and rosters turn over. And it was unfortunate because I look at that team as, I wouldn't say as a failure, but I, 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 I thought for sure that we could have won the Stanley Cup that year, how good we were. It just, uh, sometimes you have to lose before you can win. And, and we just, we never got an opportunity, or I personally didn't get an opportunity to, to try and finish it off with that group. So it, it is a regret of mine, but I, I don't regret uh, going through that process because there's so many great people on that team that I'm actually still very close friends with to this day. And what is that, you know, some 20 years later? So it's, uh, um, I, I, I always cherish my time in St. Louis. There's, there's people that I'll, I'll love for a lifetime there, the fans and, and the organization, guys like Joel Quinville and Larry Plo, who were so good to me. And then, you know, my dear friends, guys like Chris Bronger and Jamie Rivers and, you know, Chris McAlpine and you, you name it, the guys on the team, Brett Hall, Al McKinnis. Uh, anytime I run into somebody, um, it's not just a stop and chat. Kelly Chase, another guy who I, you know, have, have, have continued on with a, a great friendship. So, uh, like I say, those are lifelong friends that I cherish in those memories. One of my favorite things that you've ever talked about was, uh, believe it or not, St. Louis guy here used to listen to Leafs Lunch. I thought you and, uh, yeah, you and Brian Hayes, I loved what you guys did. Um, yeah. So uh, you used to tell a story about you guys, obviously, you know, you're adults, you're, you're grown men, you'd go out, you'd party a little bit the next morning. Yeah. You'd have to come in and and uh, yeah, you'd have to go to some kind of chamber, right? Yeah, the hyperbaric chamber. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, I the the best part. I mean, I'm I'm forty. I'm coming forty nine years old now, but you know, I was twenty six, twenty seven back then, and uh, like I say, that I think St. Louis was one of the best hidden sports towns in in really in the world. Uh, you know, you had the Rams back then. Um, Big Mac, Mark McGuire, who was our neighbor, Chris Pronger and I, and Joe Murphy and guys like that. We, so you know, we go out with those guys, and it just, uh, 
uh, we'd have ourselves a pretty good time. And, you know, for me, I was always a guy who wasn't shy to go across to the east side. And, of course. Uh, and, and brave the, the Pops Annex and PTs and all these places that <laughs> were uh, open late. And then, you know, like you say, you'd have to you'd have to pay the piper the next day. You'd get in there, and our trainer would throw me in the uh, hyperbaric chamber and, and and try and pull myself together for practice. So uh, I didn't try and make a habit of it, but certainly, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest, uh, I, I did it more than once or twice, put it that way. <laughs> uh, you know, we, we had our fun, but we that was one thing, that we had a very close team. Um, we played hard. We enjoyed our lives, but you know, within, within reason. And that's uh, one of the things that I'll always cherish. So yeah, the hyper bear chamber, uh, I'll say I, I spent a few hours in that trying to recover from, uh, from my activities from the previous night. I tell you what, I wish I had one of those on site for me sometimes. Cause that sounds fantastic. <laughs> what was your, what was your spot? Did you guys go to OB Clark's a lot? Did, but you know, it, it, after a game, let's say it, it's weird. Now that I can think about it, and I'm, I'm sure I'm wrong, but I always felt like we always played like a Thursday, Saturday at home. Yeah. So a, after Thursday night games, we'd go to Harry's, I believe it was. It okay. Was a restaurant bar called Harry's, uh, uh, close to the rink there, and uh, we'd have a, a nice uh, meal and and a few drinks. Uh, Jamal Mayer, I got to throw him in there too. Jammer, we were. Very, I was very close with him and still am uh, to this day. Marty Reisner as well. Like there's some names that are coming uh, now to the forefront as I start to remember some things and walk down memory lane. But um, you know, I, Harry's, and then you know, see how the night unfolded. Sometimes we'd go into Clayton. Uh, if it was a more low key stuff, and then uh, if it wasn't, to go down to the Arch, and, and then uh, you know. Two o'clock would come, and if we weren't ready to go home, then you then you start making the drive or, or making the cab <laughs> ride across the, to the to the dark side. So of course, there's uh, many times I've been coming home from the dark side at rush hour traffic at five seven thirty in the morning <laughs> and it's light out. So uh, those were uh, again. I, I don't do that anymore, but boy, they, they were some fun fun times back in the day and. As long as we were respectful, and I think we were, and, you know, it was more about just having fun. And and uh, like I say, the game has changed so much now. I, I look back at some of the things, and you know, yeah, I, I don't think I could even try and do it. I don't think guys would want to do it nowadays with social media and stuff. But uh, you know, back then, I just I loved. Uh, there was a place at Pops that had a live band. Mm-hmm. I, I used to go and and listen to the live band. They'd let me come up on stage and play the drums with them. And it was just kind of a, a way to, to have a, a release without and And it wasn't even, I, I joked that, you know, drinking was involved, in, but I, you know, a lot of times it wasn't even drinking. It was more that you just, you just, you know, you're wired up from the game. You weren't going to go to sleep at two. So you maybe go to sleep at four. So why not go and listen to some live music? That was kind of my mindset behind it all, you know? So you obviously enjoyed your time here, as, as most athletes do, but you were, as you mentioned earlier, you were picked in the expansion draft by the Minnesota Wild in 2000. Uh, you probably stepped into there. It was you and Manny Fernandez who kind of manned the crease yeah. there. So when you left, and, and you know, Grant Fear was your goalie, and then it was Roman Turek that final year you were here, um, and Roman Turek obviously had a stranglehold on the, on the uh, starting job here in St. Louis. So were you excited to move on to a team where you'd get a chance to start, or was it 
more of a, you know, oh, man, I, I wanted to stick with the guys that I became kind of family with? Uh, a little bit of both. Obviously, in your career, you want to play more, you want to contribute more. But, you know, I'll be honest, I knew I was going from a first-place team to a last-place team. You know, expansion, you're starting over. And a lot of times you're the, you know, you're the, you're on the outer layer of the core of a team. That's what makes you expendable. So uh, I was excited to go to Minnesota. I was also afraid that it was going to end my career because, you know, you you put up a boatload of losses. It doesn't look too good on you. And, um, so it was a new opportunity, but I was very sad to leave St. Louis just because I, I knew how good things were there. It was just a, a great team, great organization. Now, Minnesota, even though I spent only one year there in the NHL and then the next year, like I say, statistically, it's weird. I thought I played some great hockey for the Wilds, but uh, if you look at it, I think I was 525 and 8 or something like that. 523 and 9. There you go. <laughs> like, uh, it was, it, it, the numbers weren't glowing, although my, I think my goals against, my save percentage was about the same, but my goals against was about another you know, half a goal at least more. But I, I look at it, uh, I think that year, in, in the 38 games or 39, well, I think it played 38 that year, the team scored a total of like 55 goals for me. Like my goal support was like ridiculous. <laughs> um, but I, I, you know, I, I felt like I played good hockey. Uh, but then the next year I priced myself out of the league. I was on a pretty good one-way contract, ended up in the minors, and then I ended up getting traded to Calgary and had to, to battle back and, and kind of reset financially to – to, to play in Calgary a year later. So it, 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 it was a good lesson for me. Um, I knew I loved the game of hockey and wanted to, to play at the NHL level. And, you know, unfortunately, uh, when I signed my extension in St. Louis, I kind of uh, ended up pricing myself out the second year and uh, had a reset. But I was able to hang on for, I don't know, five or five more years after that or six more years, and I really enjoyed it. But it was... Uh, you know, looking back, St. Louis, uh, I think statistically and, and just from a success rate, I had some really good uh, seasons there. And then I had that one or two in Calgary that was uh, all right. But it was more uh, just opportunity for me. And at that point, when you're a backup, you're, you're really you're kind of on the run every year or two because there's always somebody young chasing you trying to push for that job. Right. Uh, so as I said, you know, you moved on to TSN, you're a hockey analyst and, uh, I was real excited. I'll throw in a side note, excited to have you on. I, as I said, I used to listen to you on Leafs lunch. I know you're doing overdrive now over there on TSN 1050. Plus you do games as well, as you mentioned earlier. Uh, what was the hardest part for you transitioning from leaving the NHL into, uh, moving into a media role? Well, I think the biggest part was, was, uh, relationships. You know, I, I'm like when I retired, I, I was in player development and I was in coaching. So it's the closest thing to playing on the team is, you know, traveling with the team and being with the team and helping to put that product on the ice. Now in the media, I'm still close with guys who are now, I guess, in management and, and scouting and all different various roles. But, you know, in the media, I, I had to reestablish myself some of those relationships um, to this day, some of my best friends are, are very high up in organizations, but we always have the, we call it like a friend speak. So 
I, I will call and just ask how, how they're doing as a person. And if I need to do it professionally, I will kind of put a, a spin on it and say, hey, you know, it's Jamie from TSN calling type of thing. Mm. Meaning it's, it's not code word, but it's more like, hey, I've got to be professional here. Uh, you know, because I'm going to ask you some questions that I need the answers for, as opposed to, hey, it's Jamie, your close friend calling, you know, and let's put our, our job titles uh, aside, and how are you doing personally? So I think some of those things were a little bit tough to balance early on. Now that I have the relationships, um, you know, I, I, I think I can navigate through those waters. Um, the, the biggest thing I found... I've always tried to be honest with respect. And what I mean by that is if I have to be critical of somebody's play, um, I'm critical in a way where I knew what I was as a player, but I can still say, hey, you know, I didn't like the player. I didn't like how that player played tonight or here's a mistake. You can point out some, some of these types of things. But to be honest, um, I feel like I could still walk in the room the next day and the player wouldn't have a problem with me. It's uh, I think as players, people forget, like, we are our own worst critics. So, you know, for me, I can, you know, I, I, I can walk in a room, have a conversation with a guy, and then that night if he makes a mistake, I can point out the mistake. But if I see him the next day, he's not going to be mad at me because he knows he made a mistake. So I think there's a fine line between, you know, be, uh, having critical analysis and just being critical. And I, I, I walk it and... You know, to be honest, I also sleep, I sleep with my, uh, my opinion. I go to sleep at night. That's the one thing I don't miss about being in, you know, management and coaching is you have to live it. You can have the, it's like being a parent. You can have the greatest day and, and, you know, you, you send your kid out to school and they have a bad day. You wear it. You live it. Whereas, uh, being in the media, I, I just live with my opinion and, you know, as long as I'm not disrespectful or don't uh, misspeak, I, I think I'm fine. I sleep well at night. So it's a, it's a, it was a bit of a transition, but I think I've, this is year nine for me, so I think I've settled in. Wrapping up here, uh, I just want to ask you real quick. You mentioned your love and uh, for the city of St. Louis in terms of being a sports town. Were you in town at all for the Stanley Cup run or the celebration? I, I was not, and I purposely – did that and I'll be honest why is there's uh and I've got a little bit more time if you need it anyways but I sure uh, I'll, I'll tell you why is um I didn't want to feel like a guy who has been gone for so long and then all of a sudden reappear when things are going well <laughs> I, 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 I like I, I don't know the right terminology I didn't want to be a floater I'll, I'll give you an example is I I have uh some friends on the team on the current team and on the team, on the alumni. And I'm an alumni, and I take a lot of pride in it. But I'll give you an example. Like, to me, Kelly Chase was so proud, and Brett Hall was so proud. But those guys, they played for many years in the organization. They've been great ambassadors for the organization. So to see them bask in, in the celebration, I loved it for them. But, you know, for me, when times were tough, I, I wasn't... I wasn't there. So I didn't want to be a guy that, oh, when, when things are great, oh, all of a sudden, you know, former alumni start, or alumni start showing up. I, I let the people who earned it just enjoy it. I, I actually enjoyed it for them from afar, if that makes sense. No, um, it does. You know, and, and, 
and I, I just I loved it. I to you know to seeing my friend Jay Bomeister win it, to seeing Alex Petrangelo, the captain, and you know the the uh, the ups and downs he had to go through it. Craig Berube, I played with in Calgary and have watched him kind of work his way up the ranks to be a really good coach. I was so happy for him. I was happy for the city, happy for the organization. But I think I did it, uh, you know, from the right distance, if that makes sense. And just uh, was proud of the people. I went to Jay Bomeister's Cup Party and, and got an opportunity to share that with him. So I, I think I did it from the right distance. I just didn't want to see, seem like a guy who, you know, all of a sudden reappeared after 20 years. I, I thought that would have been disingenuous, if it makes sense. So yeah. I, I just kept, I kept my distance, yeah. No, what you said about Kelly Chase and Brett Hall is correct. I mean, that's that's kind of the, the ongoing narrative here for Blues fans is how those guys are just kind of forever Blues. And, you know, you love seeing that from guys like that. They are. They're an extension of the team. So, you know, I, I when I think of, of everything Blues, I think of Kelly Chase. I think of, of Brett Hall. And, you know, I, I, I think of the guys who have been the mainstays there. I think Alex Dean is such a, you know, a classy guy. You know, Petrangelo class. Like, you know, a lot of, a lot of things that uh, with the current team, um, it, it's kind of come from the former team and how it's kind of been, you know, the torch has been passed down. Uh, you know, Chris Pronger is a dear friend, and, and I think Pong's was uh, uh, he, he did it from the, the right distance. He enjoyed some of it, but he also allowed the guys who earned it to to be front and center. And I, I to me, I, I you know, I, I thought it was the perfect amount of celebration from the perfect amount of people, if that makes sense. And you know, Holly, uh, Holly is Holly. I, I <laughs> loved his, you know his speeches and. And him, you know, singing Gloria and all of that, like, you know, and, and Kelly Chase, uh, you know, embodies kind of the, the pride of everything. And then, you know, the current team, the guys who went out there and earned it, Ryan O'Reilly and guys like that were, were just brilliant. So it, I just, uh, I couldn't have been prouder, but from a distance of, of, you know, knowing what that city and how they support their team and, and, uh, you know, just kind of imagining what it been would have been like had it been us, I guess, in ninety nine, two thousand. But uh, I'm glad the team was able to do it, and you know, I'm, I'm happy for them. And boy, they were having a great season uh, leading up to all of this. So if we ever get back to it and have try and finish this off, I think they'd have a good chance of uh, trying to repeat. I think so. Yeah, and, and uh, Brett Hall did adopt the nickname, and I think he'd be more than happy to know this that fans call him uh, everyone's favorite drunk uncle. So, <laughs> uh, I'll tell you, Holly. Uh, Holly is one of the most brilliant players I ever played with. Uh, yep. You know, just as far as his talent, but his mind—a uh, very sharp person, very quick-witted, uh, no filter, which people respect. Uh, I mean, there's just uh, so many things that I loved about Holly, and, and still do. Uh, you know, I, I, I'd like to consider him a friend and a close friend. We don't. I don't see him very much and don't talk that much, but uh, I certainly pay, pay attention from afar. Uh, let me ask you uh, one more question about your playing days, uh, sure. and I'm sure this is one you've probably thought about. Um, Johan Franzen's going to come to mind for some people because of uh, <laughs> what happened between you two at the end of your career, but uh, who was the worst person to play against for you? You know what's funny is – I. I'll tell the Johan Franzen story here in a second, but I think every team had 
one or two guys that was an agitator. And, you know, I don't know if they were the worst person to play against. I think what they do is they earn their money in a different way. Right. You know, the, the Forsbergs and the Sackets and, you know, you go down the line, the, the greatest players of all time, Lemieux, Gretzky, you knew what those guys were going to bring every night. But, you know, the the guys in the middle, uh, you know, the, the, the grinders who could score, the Keith Jones, guys like that who were just, you know, they were in your grill constantly. And every team had one or two, Tyson Nash, the Rash. You know, yes. Like, as, as much as uh, Nash is a close friend, he was a pain in the ass to play. So, <laughs> you know, I, I, I look at guys like that, um, and, and Detroit had two of them. Obviously, two of the best ones was Holmstrom and Franzen. And, you know, I'll, I'll tell the quick backstory on that, that incident, uh, which I take full responsibility. Like, there's no, you know, uh, basically what happened is, um, you know, I sat there. We had a pretty good spirited battle, you know, Calgary, Detroit, um, and watching Holmstrom and, and uh, Franzen accidentally on purpose fall on Kippersoff the first four games and, you know, really trying to get into his grill and underneath his skin. And, you know, game five kind of got away from us and they were getting. You know, Detroit was a team that had team toughness, but they didn't fight, if that made sense. So um, they they were always kind of hitting you and, and, and turning away, and they frustrated our bench. You know, Jerome McGinley was chasing guys around. Damon Langkow were chasing guys around that night. And I remember sitting there thinking, if I get in, I'm going to try and start a line brawl so that we can, you know, kind of all hell can break loose and, Maybe some of these guys can get a hold of these players. They've been trying to fight. So uh, I think the score became like 5-1 at the time. And people think that Jimmy Playfair sent me in there to do that. I, I, I swear on my kids' heads to this day. Uh, I think Jimmy just wanted to get Kipper out of there. And it was with about five minutes left in the game. They scored. And it was, it was getting chippy and a little bit greasy. So I think... Uh, what, what uh, Jimmy wanted me to do is just go in and mop up the rest of the game. Well, I get in there, and uh, Franz is in front of the net doing his thing, and I start chopping on him on his right leg. And he accidentally, on purpose, gives me a little pop in the head with his fist. Um, and I think, okay, he's going to come after me. As I'm chopping, I already got a two-minute penalty for slashing on him. As it's, uh, I can see the ref yelling, you know, stop slashing. <laughs> and the puck goes around the boards. And I go to touch it, and Franz is skating towards me, and I think, okay, he's going to sucker me. Like, he, he's going to punch me in the face, and I deserve it because I was slashing him. And as he got towards me, I, I choked up on my stick, and I flashed him on kind of in the right pant, high pant area, like uh, not in the stomach, but not in the face. I, I know the Detroit fans, they get all worked up about it. They think I slashed him in the head or anything. If you go back and look at the video, I slashed him in the right high pant, and he dropped and I remember thinking to myself, like, oh, my God, like, this guy. I, and, and let's not forget, he's a massive man. Yes. Like, Johan Franzen was, like, 240, and I'd still be laying there if he decided to beat me up. <laughs> but I, I tried to get things going. It went completely wrong. I lasted 18 seconds. Uh, I got suspended for five games. Uh, miraculously, this is, this is back when the NHL played back-to-back. That was a Saturday afternoon in Detroit. Sunday night was the game six in, in Calgary. So it was back to back. And I got suspended for five games. I served my 
first game. That next night was game six. And miraculously, Franzen recovered from that vicious lash. <laughs> of course. And scored, the, scored the game winner the next night. <laughs> and it's, you know, it's funny, years later, I remember seeing him, and I went up to him and just, you know, he knew who I was, and I introduced myself. And I just said, you know, it was nothing personal, and I kind of just wanted to apologize and all of that. And he, I remember him saying, like, why did you do that? And I said, well, I was just trying to stir it up. And, I, you know, he said, why well, it, it surprised me more than anything, which it did. It was a dumb move by me. But, you know, again, there, we all have regrets. Um, that's probably not the best way to go out in your career because I did never play in the NHL. Uh, again, and I owe the league four games still, but <laughs> they're, they're never going to get him out of me at 48 years old. <laughs> so, but, you know, quite honestly, it was an NBC afternoon game. I embarrassed the league. I embarrassed myself. I embarrassed the organization. Uh, you know, it, it, it wasn't, there was no place for it. And that's really not my nature. But I remember thinking if I could start something, uh, I, I would. Unfortunately, uh, uh, it, I, I don't know if you remember this. I actually, there's another time I started something and it, and it kind of like sparked the team a little bit. We were Phoenix. Phoenix. Yep, yeah. 1999 playoffs. I remember this. I was at this yeah. game. And the crazy part about that is I got the loss that night and I didn't allow a goal. Yeah. <laughs> they, they scored an empty netter and then I think we scored to make it close one game, one goal, uh, one goal. I think we lost like four three. I think it was game. four three, and the empty netter was the game winner. I think I remember that. Yeah. So in my year end meeting, I remember Q Joel Quinville going, "I've never seen anybody lose a game and not uh, not allow a goal." <laughs> and that whole nonsense where Kachuk went sliding into me, and then I took a pop at him, and then Ricard he beat up Ricard Pearson, I think, and then I went after Reichel, and then Happy Bullen came down. And I think we ended up like, you know, coming back in that game a little bit, but I don't know, stupid things over my career that, you know, I thought maybe would, would help, uh, maybe, you know, I don't know, the one kind of, I guess, against Phoenix and the one against the Flames didn't, and that's kind of how I went out. Yeah, I remember that game against Phoenix real well, because like I said, I was there, I was with my brother, and, and we saw you kind of, because you were kind of hemmed in your net. And uh, yeah. you kind of popped up and, and went after, first thing you went after Kachuk, then you went after Reichel. And I remember just looking at my yeah. brother going, that's Jamie McLennan, right? Like, because we've never seen you do that before. Well, <laughs> and I never, I never would. I remember thinking I was smart enough to not go after Big Walt. Yeah. Still be, I'd still be laying there. But, uh, <laughs> um, you know, it's funny. I Somebody brought that up to me a while back. Uh uh, there's a little video on YouTube of it or something. It's kind of funny, but that is what it is. Uh, you know, I, I again, uh, at that time when you're in the playoffs and it was one of those games where you're, you know, you, you'll do anything to contribute. And I, did, I thought at that time that was the right timing. But, you know, we, uh, uh, I think we ended up coming back in that series anyways and winning in seven. So yep. that was, uh, um, I want to say Fierzy, like put an absolute clinic on and, one of the games and and we won one nothing. I yeah, game that. seven. Yep. Yeah, because Grant said Grant was a man of very few words, and I remember before the game, he just said to the guys, "Guys, all I need is one tonight." That's yep. It. And uh, that's a famous folk story down here in St. Louis. We tell that one all the time here on on the show. Well, 
it's true. I'll never forget it. And the the only other thing I believe I remember from that game was uh, Jamie Rivers pulled one off the goal line, got behind Grant, and it was rolling. I had a great view, and and uh, Rivers like saved it from going in. And I, I don't know who scored the winner. Was it either Terz or Scott Young? I can't remember. So Scott Young scored a ridiculous one in overtime in Phoenix. I'm not sure what game that was, but I remember having a great view of it. And, uh, uh, you know, it's funny what you remember from, like, games and stuff and, and watching things happen and unfold. So, uh, but, yeah, that, that folk story is 100% true because I was in the room and I remember sitting on the trainer's table before the game and our trainer, Ray Borelli, always had a little popcorn there sitting for me. And Grant came in and... Uh, grabbed a little popcorn and he was so calm and cool. And I remember, you know, I, I wasn't starting, I wasn't going to play. I wasn't going to be a factor in that series and I could barely breathe. And here comes Grant just kind of sauntering in and grab some popcorn and just chills. So that's, uh, that's the, that's why he's a hall of famer and a legend. One of a kind for sure. Yeah. Jamie, this has been fantastic. I really appreciate you coming on the show. Um, I want to give you enough time here at the end to uh, promote anything you want to promote, how people could find your work, where they can find you on social media, uh, and then obviously, you know, when the games resume, where they'll be able to find you on TV. Yeah, I mean, I call games for the Ottawa Senators and Toronto Maple Leafs, so I'm in between the benches for that. I work with TSN Canada, and, you know, I'm – I'm a co-host, like you mentioned, a show on called Overdrive in Toronto, TSN 1050. But, uh, yeah, anytime you have me back, I love telling stories and having fun and, you know, reliving some of the days uh, that, uh, you know, I got to spend in St. Louis. I miss that city, and, you know, I try and get back there as much as possible. Awesome. Well, Jamie, thanks again. I really appreciate it. You bet. Thanks for having me. So we're going to continue on here with the Let's Go Blues Radio Past and Future summer series and i am joined by somebody to talk about joel hofer uh goalie who kind of made it big in the air in uh the hockey circles after his performance in the uh world juniors in 2020 uh so i'm I'm joined today by josh kreitzer he is the manager and uh, portland winterhawks beat writer for dub network.ca so obviously he knows a lot about the winterhawks where hofer plays uh, thank you for joining me today, Mr. Kreitzer. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here, and I uh, heard some great things about about your show, so uh, happy to be on. Oh, great things. That's the first time I've heard that. <laughs> <laughs> I got a buddy back in Minnesota who's who's the diehard Blues fan, and he tune, tunes you guys on. So, Oh. Uh, so he, he's great. How about that? We got a little connection there. That's nice to know. Man, Minnesota, he's that's enemy territory. I that, feel that sorry for a- him. <laughs> Yeah, I, as an Avalanche guy, it kind of feels a little weird being on a Blues podcast, but you know that's uh, that it's uh, it's it's hockey, and that's the joys of covering prospects is is you get to see all sorts of stuff, and uh, you know as you get older, you start to move around across the country, and sometimes you end up in Minnesota, and sometimes you end up in Portland, Oregon. You just never know where, where life's going to take you. Yeah, that's true. Uh, so obviously, you've seen a lot of hockey, and you're watching a lot of WHL hockey. You've seen Joel Hofer in action. Just a couple things to uh, fill our fans in on, in case they uh, aren't aware of who, who Mr. Joel Hofer is. Uh, he is drafted in the fourth round, 107th overall in 2018. Um, yeah, 2018 by the Blues. He's 19 years old now. Uh, Portland Winterhawks starting goalie, 34-8 and five this past season. 
2.49 GAA, 915 save percentage. Uh, and again, he kind of made it big in the uh, hockey circles when he came off the bench to lead Team Canada to the gold medal in the 2020 uh, World Juniors. Uh, he wasn't even invited to one of the training camps or tryout camps for Canada last spring and summer. He went 5-0-0 in the tournament, 1.6 GAA, 939 save percentage, both bests among goalies in the tournament, and he was named the best goalie uh, to the to the in the tournament and named to the All-Star team for the tournament. So obviously, lots of high praise here coming for Joel Hofer. Anyone who's paid attention to him has heard nothing but good things. Uh, what is your take overall on Mr. Joel Hofer? Joel Hofer is a tremendous NHL prospect, just absolutely tremendous. He he fits the very uh, stereotypical. You got to be six foot three or taller. Hofer stands a very generous six foot five, probably getting closer to maybe six foot six in there. One hundred seventy two pounds could probably uh, add a little bit of weight to him, but he's got a very intimidating presence in the net. Uh, I've had the opportunity uh, to be on the bench for a couple of warm ups and, and be on the shooting angle that some of these junior players are seeing. He takes up a lot of net, and there's not much to shoot at when he's on his angle. Um, Hofer plays a, what we call a blocking style for the position. Um, he's best on his game when he's not swimming around. Um, he doesn't need to swim around, but he's he just kind of is got a, this calming presence. I call it there's not a whole lot of extra movements with Joel, and that includes both on and off the ice. It just seems like everything that he does is very calculated. It's very done with a purpose. And sure, he's athletic. Um, he's by far the best golfer on the Winterhawks. Um, and so for anybody who likes to get out and be on the course, obviously, maybe not right now, we can't. But, um, you know, normally he's going to be out on the course and uh, he plays uh, some other sports and stuff with the guys around the team. So um, he's definitely an athlete. Uh, but when he's in net, what you're going to see is you're going to see him taking up a ton of space, not moving around a lot. Um, you know, and one of the big things that a lot of fans, at least around here, is they call they've said Hofer is a boring goalie to watch. And depending upon who you talk to, that can be either a good thing or a bad thing. A lot of fans, you know, older fans may remember Dominic Koshik, and he looked like he was in a pool. He was swimming around. He's making these flashy saves all over the place. No spine. But, no, yeah, no spine, right? <laughs> Hofer's got a great spine. That's an awkward thing to That's say. That's good. <laughs> but he, he is he is very. Um, He's very poised, very polished. His upper body moves very well with his lower body uh, as he pushes side to side across the crease, takes up a ton of net, um, like I've mentioned. And I want to go back to kind of this flashy comment that we've talked about. Uh, the goalie coach uh, for the Portland Winterhawks is Andy Moog, uh, former NHL goalie. And I was talking with him at training camp and have talked with him a little bit throughout the season. And his quote to me was, if a goalie's making the flashy save, more often than not, he's out of position. Boring goalies have pucks hit them and stick to them. They are in the right position, and sometimes it looks lazy, but it's actually the exact opposite. And so um, I, I think that applies great to Hofer. Um, he's um, Andy Moog often talked about how you don't get to see just how good of an athlete Hofer is, but it shows how good he is, is that he can be in the positions to make these first saves, not having to make these diving second saves because he's so athletic, because he's keeping – He's got great body control. He's not seeing him outside the blue paint. Uh, it's very poised and under control when he's playing his game. If you start seeing him swimming, you start seeing him diving all over the place, 
you know he's maybe rattled, uh, something's not quite right, didn't have the best practice. So that's a really good indication to see how Hofer is. is if he's on his game, there's not a lot of extra movements. There was, a, there was a lot of goalies that you mentioned, Hasek, that came in after him that, that I kind of felt like coaches or GMs or scouts were, okay, this guy could be a Hasek. We could see him making these big saves, doing these big things. But, again, like you said, it was always the fact. And, and with Hasek, he was always out of position. If you watch him play, always out of position. But he was so good at scrambling back, and that was when he was at his best, was when he – had to get himself back into position. And most goalies can't do what he did. So you see these guys that are swimming in the net, and they let in some easy goals because they're just not in a good position. So I am with you 100%. I'm all for the bowling, boring goalies. Give me the goalie that's going to take it in the chest every time because that means that they are right in where they need to be. Yeah, and, and Hofer is... Um, he stays active by playing pucks, um, especially over the past two seasons. I've really seen him grow in his puck handling ability. And um, Portland plays, for, for those who are maybe not a fan or, or don't know the, the Portland Winterhawks, they put a lot of stress on their style of play on their goalies. Portland plays a very up-tempo puck possession game. Uh, they're often out shooting their opponents by 15, 16 shots a night. And there are times where goalies will go five to seven minutes game action, not, not counting stoppages or anything like that, without facing a shot. And then the next shot they get is a two-on-one or a breakaway by the star player of the other team. And so uh, forwards fly the zone as soon as the puck has been maintained. Mike Johnson is the head coach. He, uh, for NHL fans, might remember him. He had a short stint in Pittsburgh uh, with, with the Penguins and Sidney Crosby uh, on their uh, cup run that they had. Um, but so Mike Johnson loves this up-tempo, I-want-the-puck uh, style. And so it puts a lot of stress on goalies. And one of the things that once Hofer came here a year and a half ago on a trade with Swift Current was it really allowed Portland to open up their play even more because they had a goalie back there that they could trust. And for the most part, Hofer's done a really good job of being able or allowing Portland to play the game that they like to play. So I, so as... Um, as he progresses in, in his pro uh, career uh, and as he works his way up to the Blues, that's something that he will have had experience with of going long stretches of not uh, facing the puck. But then also if you look at his time before he came to Portland playing with Swift Current uh, the year after they uh, their team won the WHL championship, they shipped everybody off. And I mean everybody who had any value. They were traded. And Hofer was facing, on average, over 42 shots a game. And so so he's got that experience as well. And, and he won games for them. And he kept teams his team in the game. So, you know, one of the, the comments I always get all the time is, when Hofer's in net, your team has a chance to win every night. And mm. more often than not, he's got that ability uh, he's got a tremendous record in shootouts. That was a big reason why Hockey Canada started poking around him uh, because of some of the things that had taken place with them over the past couple of years of losing in uh, some of the shootouts. They wanted a goalie who had some experience, and, and Hofer has been part of long shootouts, short shootouts, facing NHL caliber shoot, shooters, NHL drafted prospects. He went up against Cody Glass, uh, who is a big prospect on the Vegas system, Joachim Blickfeld. Um, so they've had some of these guys who have been um, really strong shooters that, that he's had an opportunity to see night in and night out. So a lot to like about Hofer, both um, during the play, but then also uh, as, as the game carries forward into overtime and into a shootout. Yeah, no, that's that's fantastic. And just hearing this, that it makes me very excited to see him play. And again, you know, we uh, some people out here in St. Louis saw him play 
in the uh, the World Juniors. And I, the thing that I the feeling I got about him before was when he was drafted. It was well, and uh, you know you got to fit your two. He was drafted in 2018. That was when all the talks was going for the Blues that Ryan O'Reilly's coming to St. Louis. It's going to happen. And then you know July 1st, the Blues make a big splash and I'm getting O'Reilly, other guys, and they sign Pat Maroon later that summer, a, a, a St. Louis boy. And the draft kind of got lost, I think amongst Blues fans because they were so excited about the upcoming season and the new offense that they were going to see. Um, so to me, though, yes, I knew who Hofer was, but then when the, the World Juniors happened and he just I mean, obviously played some of the best hockey Team Canada's probably ever seen, um, did he – was that kind of expected? Like, I'm not, and obviously I know his numbers were ridiculous, but I'm saying was he expected to be – this number one possibly elite level goalie, or was it more of a, um, you know, wow, this guy was here to back up and, and, you know, win us a game if we need him. But holy cow, he's way more than we thought he was. What I mean, what, what direction do you think that takes? You know, I think there was a lot of expectations in Portland that he was going to be the number one guy. And so for those who had seen him and for anyone who had seen, you know, the WHL action, uh, there was one team, uh, the Prince George Cougars. Uh, they, uh, they put, Portland played him four straight games, and Hof, which included two shutouts by Joel Hofer. And they were so frustrated with, Ho, with Hofer that on Instagram they posted after the third game, we're getting pretty, pretty damn tired of Joel Hofer. Um, so that was on the, that was on their public feed. So nice. he, he was frustrating teams and Mike Johnson, um, the Winterhawks acquired him, um, and it, t- it cost him six draft picks, uh, including two firsts, a second, a third, fourth, and a fifth. So there was this tremendous price to pay for the Winterhawks to acquire him, uh, for, you know, a year and a half, maybe two and a half years, depending upon what happens with him in his overage season, um, as a 20 year old. Um, but there was this high expectation and, you know, Hofer wasn't a big star in, in Swift current to start. He was the backup on their, on their WHL championship team. And then uh, once everybody kind of got traded off, he was left there. And I saw some, uh, as we kind of started looking locally here about who we knew Portland was in the market for, for some goalies. And they were, you know, with having a Cody Glass and a Joachim Blickfeld on your roster, you're looking to make a Memorial Cup run. Um, for the CHL's top team. And we started looking at who some of the, the prospects could be uh, of who the Winterhawks might bring in. And the name that kept popping to the top of the list was Joel Hofer. And then you started reading some things about him for people who didn't watch him play. And you looked at his numbers and you see, okay, this guy's got over a four, four goals against average. His state percentage is, uh, at the time, it was below 900. And so they're going, how is this guy drafted? What was the story? Like, what is going on? Well, if you actually watch him play and you dive into some of the numbers and you see what was in front of him, you go, the fact that he had a four, you know, goals against average, you're going, I don't know how that's not an eight. Um, and so, you know, he then comes to Portland, he drops those numbers, he gets those numbers, he finishes up with, with much better numbers uh, in that season. And then he just, this first half, he absolutely took off. Like you mentioned, there was not this expectation. He wasn't on Hockey Canada's radar. Um and Portland knew they had a good goalie. Johnson, uh, Mike Johnson, the head coach, knew he had this really starting caliber goalie um, and a great pro prospect. But then just this first half, just he just went on a tear. And it didn't matter who they played. It didn't matter whether there was 12 shots a game or whether there was 40 shots a game. Hofer was dialed in. He was locked in. And uh, in the first half, he had 20 wins. 
a 1.81 goals against average. Both were tops in the Western Hockey League and a 937 save percentage in four shutouts. He was oh. just lighting the world on fire. Um, it was impressive what he was doing. So, um, you know, while he was gone, um, there was kind of this expectation of this guy's just going to come right in and he's going to be the number one goalie for Canada. So when he wasn't, locals were confused as, okay, why is this guy not? He's got better numbers. And then Nico Dawes comes in and everybody knows what happens next. And Hofer comes in and um, I talked with him afterwards after the tournament. And he said, you know, he just looked up at the stands. He saw where his family was sitting, took a deep breath and said, all right, let's play. And that's that, I mean, that's just a calming presence, right? And that's something that not many 19 year olds have. Uh, I know, you know, blues fans are very familiar with Jordan Bennington mm-hmm. uh, and kind of his demeanor. I would call Hofer similar. They're not maybe quite got the same personalities, but there, there's some similarities there. Um, but he just, you just saw it like you could just physically see him relax. And at that point it was like, nope, this is mine. And he wasn't ready. He wasn't going to give up the net. And he's got that mentality of once he he's worked so hard for things. He he was a late bloomer. He didn't start playing goalie till he was ten years old. Um, so there's there's just some of this weird stuff about him. Um, he keeps up with the NHL game. He actually lives with uh, NHL referee Ian Walsh. Um, oh wow, that's his billet uh, that he lives with here in, in Portland. So he's constantly keeping up with what's going on in the NHL. What are the rules? Learning about the goalie interference rules and learning about okay, what can I do as a goalie to maybe not kind of stretch the, the boundaries a little bit, but how far can I go to maybe potentially get a call or to better position myself? So he's just works hard at everything he's got. So for him, my really long-winded answer is I was not surprised to see Hofer no doubt come in and take over that number one spot. You made the comparison to Bennington, and I think a lot of people have um, kind of been making that comparison slowly. Uh, Bill Armstrong, the uh, Blues Director of Amateur Scouting, uh, he did once say, and you mentioned this earlier, that he thinks that Hofer probably needs to put on a little weight before he goes uh, pro. Now, then he joked after he said that and said, well, we said the same thing about Jordan Bennington. Um, do you yeah. think it's the, it's a similar case where, yeah, we say all the time, this guy needs to put on weight, but maybe he really doesn't. Maybe it's just a matter of uh, this is what he's comfortable, the the way that he's built now. Um, or would, So would you say that, that he needs to put on weight, or do you think he's good where he's at? I think he, I think he, if you were to ask him, I think he would, he would say he wants to put on some muscle. I don't think he needs to put on 30 pounds. I don't think he's underweight. I I think the the way he plays, I think adding a little bit of weight being that shot blocking type of goalie, which is a weird thing to describe him, but he's not, (laughs) you know, because that's what all goalies are, right? You want him to block shots. But when you look at, you know, the athletics or the butterflies or, you know, some of the different terms that are thrown out there. Hofer, with being a shot blocker, obviously, the bigger you are, the more uh, asset you have to use to, to take up the net. And so I think if he were to put on a little bit or, you know, continue to build up some of those um, lower body uh, muscles so he can push harder uh, from left to right and right to left, I think that will only help him, I think, as he puts on upper body strength. Uh, when he goes to, you know, he, he often loves to clear the puck on the penalty kill on his own if he can. Uh, I think he's trying to take a page out of the Patrick Waugh, Marty Brodeur, um, Pekka Rene book, um, where he want, if, if he can get the clear himself, he will. But there's not a lot of mustard on it. And so as he starts climbing the ranks and guys get faster and stronger um, and quicker, 
I think that's where that will maybe start to help him. Um, just pick up that extra split second of speed from left to right, tracking the two-on-one or lunging out really quick, getting that little bit more push uh, from his edges, uh, I think would, would really serve him well. Hypothetically, let's say he wasn't drafted last year and he's still eligible for the draft this year. After the year he's had, the last 365 days we've seen from this gentleman, where do you think he gets drafted now? Fourth round before, where is he now? Uh, it's tough. If, if you would have had just his first half and just World Juniors, I think he's a first-round pick, wow. um, with, without a doubt. I think he's probably at the tail end there. I think he, you know, he's obviously going to be behind uh, Spencer Knight, uh, and he'll be behind uh, Skaroff. Um, those are two I think are probably would be ahead of him, um, just based upon age and numbers, pedigree, those types of things. And, and as great as Hofer's first half was, his second half, I don't want to say it was bad, but it was nowhere near the same. In 21 appearances, sure, he had 14 wins, but that 1.8 goals against average became a 3.03 goals against average in the second half. That 937 save percentage that he had in the first half dropped in those 21 appearances and was an 894 save percentage. No shutouts. Mm -hmm. Something drastically changed with him, and he wasn't the same hofer that we saw beforehand, before World Juniors. I don't know if that was exhaustion. I don't know if that was other things that was going on or, or everything that, that else was going on there. So sure, his final numbers look good. 249 goals against, 915 save percentage, four shutouts, 34 wins, most in the WHL. But when you look at his numbers overall, it's sixth in the league in goals against, ninth in the league in save percentage. He saw the third most amount of minutes, um, faced the eighth most amount of shots. So I don't think he had quite as stellar of a year. Like that was, he kind of peaked a little bit at World Juniors, and we were starting to see him kind of roll, uh, come back into form right as the season was suspended and ultimately canceled uh, in the WHL and the CHL. So we'll never really know. But but Hofer was a big game goalie, and everyone saw it at World Juniors. And when when the lights were brightest, that's when Hofer really shined. And so I don't I don't know. I think that's a tough question. Um, the you know, it seems right now that uh, the NHL teams really care about size, and that if you're not six foot three, you're not getting drafted. Uh, by far, the best goalie in the WHL right now is Dustin Wolf uh, for the USA fans. Uh, he he was the USA's backup goalie to Spencer Knight and got into one game at World Juniors. He had nine shutouts this season alone. Wow! And and it's just unbelievable what he's doing and the numbers that he's putting up. He was like 12 picks from not being drafted last year in the draft because he's under six foot three. So wow. I think, which everyone just couldn't believe. We're watching all these other WHL goalies go ahead of him. And for those of us who follow the WHL, you're going, how is Wolf not drafted? This guy's just got unbelievable numbers. I, I could pull him up here for you and you'd be blown away by what he's done. Uh, Carter Hart was there. You know, he replaced Carter Hart, who no one thought there was going to be a better goalie in the WHL since Carey Price than Carey Hart or um, Carter Hart. Hart. Yeah. Than Carter Hart. Well, Wolf has better numbers. Wow. But drafted lower. So all this to be said that I think with Hofer's height, with Hofer's um, track record, um, with the numbers that he put up uh, at the first half and with what he did in, at World Juniors, you're probably looking at a second or a third round pick would be my guess if you if you had to, if you had to do it. Fourth, he was coming kind of out of nowhere. Fourth was when he wasn't really that well known um, among the hockey community. Now that's all the talk. Anywhere you go is, you know, Hofer, Hofer, Hofer. 
Uh, when I go to away buildings, everyone asks about Hofer. Um, so he's, like you mentioned, the, he took the hockey community by storm. And so I think if he had the same year that he did, wasn't drafted, he was in his draft plus one season, um, you know, maybe that hype helps him up a little bit, but that's where I'd rank him. So again, I mentioned his stats earlier, 2.49 GAA, 915 save percentages past season. What's a good uh, barometer, a good uh, point to reference him to for GAA and save percentage in the WHL? You know, that's a, that's a good question. Um, the WHL is such an interesting league and because, and it's such a up and down league. And there are, um, a lot of things that you want to, that you have to take into consideration. Um, Portland's division that they're playing in, um, had three of the top teams, um, in the league. And then not only the league, but in who finished in the top 10 across all the CHL. So he's going up against very different competition than say someone who's maybe in the East Division, uh, like a Patera. Um, you know, some of those other type of goalies, um, at Sogard, uh, there's other goalies out there. Um, but like, for example, Dustin Wolf that I mentioned with Everett finished with a 188 goals against average and a 935 save percentage. No other, the next closest goalie was a 220 goals against average. So almost half a goal a game difference. Um, and then as, as you look at some of those, at some of those goalies that are kind of in that uh, kind of that top 10 range, there's a lot of them that are kind of scattered around that 2.2, 2.3, um, that, that type of stuff. The other thing that you got at the WHL, we, we call it a developmental league and it's a developmental league for everyone. And that includes the shot clock counters. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so especially in the US division, the division that, that I cover uh, most often, uh, there's a few barns that are known for getting a little trigger happy on, on the shot clock counter, um, which, um, which if you ask me is, it, it only hurts your goalie if you're not crediting, uh, you know, the other team with, with the shots that they deserve. So, you know, the, the shots things and stuff like that, I think it's, a, you have to take it a little bit with, with a grain of salt. Um, but, you know, I, I, I would say with, with Hofer, with, with where he's finishing, I think he was, you would call it in the above average section. Uh, he was in the elite um, with with his first half and, and fi- finished in that above average uh, section. So um, this is a, a totally speculatory answer I'm looking for here, and I know that this can range from person to person, position to position, but if I were to just ask you flat out, how far off from the NHL is Joel Hofer? What would your response be? Oh, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> that's that's you know, all we ask here on Let's Go Blues that's, Radio. Yeah, it's, it sure <laughs> seems like it. My goodness, you got you got some good stuff here. Um, I, I hate to go back to it, but am I am I take? Do I get the first half Hofer? Do I get the second half Hofer? I think the second half makes me question a few things. Um, you know, a lot of the talk that happens around the Western Hockey League with nineteen-year-olds that are um, uh, NHL drafted or have their rights is are they going to come back for their overage season as their 20-year-old season? Uh, the current CBA uh, means that 19-year-olds who are drafted out of the CHL have to play at least through their 19-year-old year. It's their birth year. Uh, it has nothing to do with, you know, the September 15th cutoff like you have for the draft. It's strictly based upon uh, birth year. Um, and so with um, with Hofer, I, there was a lot of this, yeah, there's no chance he's coming back zero chance in the first half. It's like, nope, he's gone. He's already signed. He signed before playoffs last season. Uh, there's zero chance he's coming back. 
after World Juniors, it's like, now we don't even need to talk about it. Let's just clean out and stall now. Like, the Blues might take him now. Um, but, you know, then as the rest of the season went along, it was, well, is he ready? Um, but the, the, I think the question comes, comes back to, and if you had to ask me today, he's not back in the WHL. I think he's probably in the AHL, ECHL. You, you guys and your fans and your listeners will know way more about the Blues system than I do. Um, but it sure seems like the Blues tend to be a little bit slower with their goalie prospects and with their prospects in general than maybe some teams. Yes. Um, but so for Portland fans who might be listening in, um, they may say, okay, sure, yeah, play it slow and send them back to – to uh, the WHL. Portland is going to have an unbelievable team. They finished first in the WHL this year, um, and that was with not a lot of older players, so they're going to get the majority of their team back. They've got a guy named Seth Jarvis who will probably be a first-round pick uh, on this year's team. They might have five guys get drafted, um, so they're going to have a really good team next year. So if Hofer is returned back to the Winterhawks, you're probably looking at a really long playoff run. He didn't get that playoff experience this year. And how much does that matter to, to the Blues ownership? Do they want to see how he handles the pressure? Do they want to see how he does up against uh, good teams on a nightly basis? How does he handle some, some of that stuff? So I would say he's probably, without knowing the contract situations of everybody else, from a readiness standpoint, I'm saying you're probably at least two years, maybe three seasons away before he's ready for a kind of a backup role. Um, but the fact of his size, the fact of the types of players he's gone up against uh, in his time in the WHL, um, how he performed at World Juniors. I think he's maybe a little bit ahead of the game than mm -hmm. some of the other WHL goalies that have that have come out of, of the league right away. I don't think he's going to come in and be Carter Hart and steal steal the starting job within two, two years. I don't think that's happening, um, barring injury. But um, with Hofer, I wouldn't put anything past him. The, the guy is about as determined as, as it comes. I haven't met a – everybody wants to win. Everyone's competitive. Hofer's at a whole nother level. And everything – every time I talk to him, it's about winning, and it's how do I help my team win, and how do I, uh, you know, seize the moment. That's a phrase he uses a lot. I want to seize the moment. And so um, from a guy who sees him multiple times a week at practices, after games um, – I don't put anything past the past this guy of, of making it to the NHL. Short answer, I'd say three years. Three years. That's. I mean, from what I've seen, he's he's nothing but a, an elite talent, and we'll see what that means. I mean, we said that about Billy Huso, who is uh, currently the Blues AHL starter, and um, we thought he'd be an AHL goalie by now. Obviously, Jordan Biddington uh, frog uh, leapfrogged him, but. You know, you never know what could happen with this kid. I mean, uh, he could have a, a great jump here in about a year and a half. We don't know. I mean, it's goalies and defensemen especially. I feel like it is really hard to gauge when they're going to be ready for the NHL. Yep, and a lot of it sometimes, too, comes down to next man up and, and injuries, right? Um, if, if there's an injury and all of a sudden you take advantage of that opportunity, now maybe he moves up a little bit faster. Or, you know, goalies are just a different breed in, of themselves. Look at Bennington and some of the, you know, it made its way through the, you know, do I look nervous? You know, that, that question that he, that he had, like, there's your answer, right? Like, they're just a different breed of people. Um, yes, they are. And so you just don't really know. It's hard to know when they're going to peak and, and when they're going to be there. All the tangibles are there. All the intangibles are there with Hofer. He's a character guy. He's a team-first guy. Um, 
he's depending upon when this comes out there'll be some awards that are handed out by the winter hawks don't be surprised to see his name uh listed uh somewhere within there um i don't want to divulge out something before it's been public knowledge but um he is the prototypical team guy and he's very well loved in that locker room um and he does a great job both with older players with younger players um he's a fan favorite so you know once he gets into the blue system officially uh i i think he's going to be very well liked and will do very well in the blues organization this has been uh very enlightening for me and i think for many blues fans so uh, i want to thank you again for coming on josh now i do want to give you time to uh go ahead and plug anything that you do i know that on your twitter profile i think you have 27 different writing jobs uh, but right now, I know you're focused on uh, the dubnetwork.ca, right, for the Winterhawks. But go ahead, take your time, tell us uh, where people can find you on social media and where they can find your work. Yeah, on social media, it's at J-J-C-R-I-T-Z-E-R. Um, all my work is on uh, dubnetwork.ca. Uh, we got a talented group of writers. We're a collection of writers uh, spread out across uh, Western Canada and the United States. Uh, covering prospects, covering kind of um, players that you may see uh, a couple of years down the road. We, um, we've got a writer uh, in a lot of different cities. Um, this has really kind of been uh, my passion. I've got a lot of background in NCAA and Minnesota high school hockey, uh, but I, I love the WHL. I love what I'm getting to do right now, getting to be in these rinks and getting to watch the development of players. Uh, so uh, we've also got a couple of podcasts that we do. We've got a WHL-focused one uh, called WHL Unfiltered. You can find that anywhere you get your podcasts. Uh, for anyone who wants to listen to more Portland-specific, I'm not sure there's a lot of Portland listeners maybe in St. Louis, but uh, we've got a podcast called Pucklandia, and yes, it is a play on words from Portlandia. Nice. Uh, <laughs> I like so, that. Uh, so we've got a couple different things. Those are all out out there on on iTunes and Spotify and iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, those are out there. But um, yeah, dubnetwork.ca. Uh, you can find my stuff in my Twitter profile at jjcritzer. Um, yeah, we just doing a lot of stuff, and you know, we try and cover players before they kind of become those household names. So when the NHL draft happens, I know there's been some things that have kind of um, maybe been delayed a little bit, but when the NHL draft comes and the Blues select a player from the WHL, hop on over to dubnetwork.ca. You can probably read about them. You can read some game reports. You can probably get a draft profile on them. We've got a lot of stuff. So even if you've got other WHL guys uh, that you guys are interested in or keeping an eye on, um, we definitely have got plenty of content uh, for you there. Free, no paywall, anything like that. Yeah, you have to put up with autoplay videos, but there's no paywall. So uh, uh, come join us. But um, I did have one question for you. Of course. Um, so, so for those of us in Portland uh, who maybe aren't following the Blues organization, what are your thoughts on when Hofer makes it into the organization? Do you see him? Do you see them sending him back for his 20-year-old year? Do you see him, all right, let's, you know, replace him in Huso in, in the AHL? Do you put him in the ECHL? Uh, what are your thoughts on that? It's an interesting question because I think the Blues, it, it, this is a it's strange territory, I think, for the Blues because um, in the past it's been, well, we've got this one prospect. You know, in the past it was Jake Allen. Before that it was uh, Reinhard Divas or um, Merrick Schwartz or, you know, the, I'm saying these names of Blues fans are just hitting themselves in the heads right now. But um <laughs> You know, it, there's always been like that one guy, but I think now you're looking at it as, again, Bennington, when he was drafted, people looked at him as possibly being this great prospect, but he kind of just fell out of the Blues' graces for so long because 
One, Vili Huso stepped in, and that was the guy that everybody thought, okay, he's going to come in, take Allen's job. Allen will get traded, and it's going to be Vili Huso's show for the next 15 years. Uh, and then Bennington, you know, everybody knows the story that happened last year, stepped in and, and took the reins. And Huso has kind of struggled a little bit in the AHL and, um, uh, you know, the, and Jake Allen, uh, possibly on his way out. So there's going to be room for a backup there, but it, it, you know, the, the blues have proven before they like to have a veteran back there as opposed to, uh, uh, a rookie, especially when you have a young goalie like Jordan Biddington or back in the day when it was Jake Allen starting, you know, you, you don't really want to have two rookies out there, uh, or two, two young guys. But, um, I think the interesting thing with Hofer, I see him and I saw, how big he got, and I thought, I wonder if the Blues are looking at him as a trade chip. And and I hate to say that because I think he is an elite talent from what I've seen. He's an excellent goalie, and you mentioned the comparisons to the mindset of Jordan Bennington, and that excites me because I I love the way Jordan Bennington carries himself and uh, uh, plays the game. But um, I have to wonder if if maybe him or Billy Huso, if he gets hot, I think they're starting to get to a point now where they really need to start considering – uh, moving a, a goalie prospect if they can. Uh, Evan Fitzpatrick's another guy that's in the system that uh, they were high on for a while. So uh, there's definitely a lot of talent that Hofer is going to have to uh, find a way to defeat and uh, get into the NHL. But um, I think he's a guy, if he's like Bennington, because they love Bennington in this organization, that that's I guarantee that's something that, that the pros, that the uh, uh, draft experts have already noticed all the scouts and they probably said let's hold on to this guy if we can and uh, I could see them making a move either with him or Billy Huso or Evan Fitzpatrick uh, but if I were to put money on it I'd say I think Hofer is in it for the long haul I think uh, you know the plan right now we'll see what it's like in six months is uh, that he is the succession to Jordan Biddington, but obviously way too early to tell at this point. Yeah. <laughs> well, again, I wanted to, I wanted to thank you for, uh, for yeah. coming on. And, and, uh, you mentioned to me before that, uh, you're a kind of an avalanche guy when it comes to the NHL yeah. team. So yeah. I am so sorry that we had to put you through this. There's a Stanley <laughs> cup logo in the uh, corner here. And I just realized how rude that was, so I apologize. Hey, hey, you know, we've, we've, we've had two of them. You guys waited a long time. You guys deserve it. Uh, you know, it, this is what this is what happens. And you know what? I, I'm a prospects guy for, uh, first and foremost, uh, so uh, no harm there. And uh, Blues are probably my second team. Like I said, for my for my friend, give a shout out to Luke Widman. So uh, yeah, he's uh, so I, I definitely was on the Blues uh, Blues train. Uh, the, my podcast host got a play Gloria. He made a uh, play Gloria. Uh, bumper thing that you go stick into your trailer hitch. So nice. Uh, so the Blues were big out here. The, all the bars out here were, were full of Blues fans. So nothing wrong there. If the Avalanche can't win, I'm sure. I'm sure glad it's the Blues. And you know what? We can all hate on the Wild altogether. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And I was going to say, uh, everything. So last summer, I did a series with uh, a bunch of different podcasts from across the league. Uh, I had once somebody from every single NHL team uh, the, a podcast on, and the thing I heard from 29, well, I guess. Yeah, 29 other teams was, hey, at least the Bruins didn't win. So we're happy you won. And <laughs> yeah, I'm like, that's something we can all agree on. <laughs> yeah, well, hey, we're all there. So that's um, right. Yeah, no harm, no foul there. So I really appreciate you having me on and uh, always fun talking uh, prospects. So uh, best of luck to you guys and, and your show and um, really appreciate the time.
Of course, yeah, and I will uh, go ahead and let my listeners know to make sure to stay tuned to me on social media after the, you hear this because I will be sure to tweet out everywhere you can find Josh's work, including the podcast on the Dub Network, in case you're interested on hearing more about prospects. Thanks a lot, Josh. I really appreciate it. All right, thanks. Appreciate it. Well, I want to thank everybody for listening. Thanks big time to Jamie and Josh for coming on. This is uh, was a great first episode, uh, not by me, but by them, because I had some great guests. So thank you, guys. Uh, I want to add that uh, if you're listening on the podcast, which how else would you be hearing me, uh, go over to letsgoblues.com. Shop for shirts and stickers over there at the letsgoblues.com slash shop. Uh, check that out. Uh, and then, of course, uh, if you're interested in getting a jersey, which we already made our last shipment, our, as our first shipment, uh, so that'll be hopefully coming out uh, in a couple of weeks, probably six to seven weeks for those of you that ordered jerseys. Uh, we'll be doing another run of Let's Go Blues Radio jerseys, probably, uh, I'd say, late July, August, September. But go ahead and let me know if you're interested, and that way I can go ahead and put you down, and I can contact you when um, when we decide to make the next order because we have to order them in bulk so uh i'll get a couple at once and and then send them off so uh just email me jponder94 at gmail.com or you can send me a tweet jponder94 uh also make sure you go on to spotify apple google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcast go and subscribe to us and if there's an option to rate us give us that five star rating if you are liking what you're hearing um because that really helps other people find the show uh, and then, of course, uh, letsgoblues.com slash radio is where you can find all of our episodes, past and future. Uh, Twitter handles, uh, I've already mentioned before, but real quick, I'll run them down. LGB Radio for the show. Kurt's at Kurt Price. Bill's at Billy Bluenote. And myself is at jponder94. Uh, as far as what the next show will be, stay tuned. We don't know. Uh, again, this is uh, new territory for everyone. So uh, I would say to plan... For Wednesday or Thursday next week to have a uh, episode with a former blues player and a prospect. So you're not going to want to miss that. So make sure you stay tuned for that. And if not, we'll be doing another show with Kurt and Bill. So either way, it's going to be all good next week. Uh, we're here to entertain you throughout this. And remember as well, folks, that uh, we do have a uh, YouTube video that's uh, accompanied with the past portion of the show. So Every time that we interview a former player, uh, there will be a video on our YouTube page to accompany that. So make sure you tune in for that. Uh, but uh, without further ado, let's end this one, huh? Big thanks again to everybody for listening. And on behalf of Kurt Price and Bill Day, I'm Jeff Ponder. Let's go Blues. Uh, the Chiefs are at home tonight against Cyanusport at the War Memorial at 8. Good seats are still available. I think that went very well. Thank you for listening to Let's Go Blues Radio. Now take off, hosers. Well, there's 90 minutes of your life you'll never get back. Sorry. (laughs) St. Louis Blues, St. Louis Blues, have you heard the news about us? St. Louis Blues, they've only just begun. They're on their way to number one. Now there's no more blues for our St. Louis Blues. The Blues are on the ice tonight again. They're rough and tough and got the stuff to win. 
They'll always get one more, no matter what the score. They are quite a hockey team, my friends.